Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness and Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Today, we are going to talk about black coaches and college basketball. Since it is coming into and heading into the Sweet 16, uh, Lou, how your brackets look? So here's the thing. You know that that gif where the, where the where the brothers like pointed to his head? That's me right now essentially saying, if I don't have a bracket, my brackets look fine. Uh, so I did not fill out a bracket, but all my predictions have, have come true. So, so I am undefeated. Oh, so you got the perfect, you got the one perfect bracket in your head. Um, so congratulations. Congratulations. Thank um, you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, this weekend we saw lots of great games, saw great coaching matches. Did you, did you see the Duke U- University of Central Florida game by any chance? Oh, I did, man. And, and I loved it. I was watching like literally just to see uh, Zion dunk on Taco. Um, and I was thinking at the, like, I was like, man, if this happens, dude's going to break him in half. Um, and then I just became mesmerized by how great Dawkins, like the Dawkins kid was like, he is to me, he's a, he's, he's a pro. Um, I don't watch a lot of college basketball because there's no pros out there, but, uh, but I enjoyed watching Zion. I enjoyed watching Dawkins. And I also noticed that your uh, Maryland teams, both of them, uh, men and women lost. Th- thanks for rubbing it in. Uh, I'm still not over it. Um, but the issue on the, at least on the sideline, uh, this opening weekend was Tom Izzo's, um, you know, tirade against one of his players for not getting back in the opening game against Bradley. Um, what do you think about that? See, I look. So here's the thing: I don't, I don't like it, and 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 we could talk about my feelings, and this could be the couch, right, where I talk about what happened to me at high school. But I was, I was yelled at every day, and and it got annoying. Um, you know, cause you're just like a, you're just a high school student just trying to get by and here's some guy who just wants to yell at you because maybe you didn't, you know, step quick enough or you didn't dive, uh, to the floor. And, and part of that, I think too, is like, I went to a, a, let's just say, a, a very integrated high school in the sense that there wasn't <laughs> like, you know, SoCal integrated. There's not a lot of, um, black folks, but it was becoming that way. And I think the coach was used to that kind of rah-rah type athlete. I'm not saying any names that, that would dive through the floor. And if you weren't like that, he got on you. And I was just the three C's cool, calm, and collective. But back to what Izzo was doing, I thought it was problematic in the sense that he went too far, right? He, he had his finger in, in, in the kid's face. Uh, he balled up his fist. And I understand, right? Uh, how people saw it because we see sports in America as a way to discipline the youth. So in general, that fits, right? This idea that the coach is going to yell. And I think we're okay with coaches yelling because we see this idea as a discipline problem. But I think in specific, a lot of people are also okay with it because especially basketball, we see a lot of black athletes. And then we also believe that they need some form of discipline. Like that's literally every movie um, about like black high school athletes. It's except probably remember the Titans where, where they need discipline. And, and I think that's part of <laughs> remember the Titans too. 
Um, and I think that also goes for black coaches, right? Like if John Thompson would have done that, if John Chaney would have done that, I think for the most part, you know, people didn't like them, uh, but, but they would have seen that as okay because generally the person who's at the end of that is um, a black athlete, right? what do you think? Well, I think there's twofold. I think I, I agree with you here in terms of uh, the optics were wrong. I think the um, the racial dynamics are at play. I think the labor question that these are unpaid athletes uh, thus should not be subjected to what we would think of in, in, in a kind of labor sense, a hostile work environment. Um, but there is a certain level of competitiveness um, that I um, appreciate as a, as a former athlete who got yelled at quite a bit as well. Um, and so I do think that I, I kind of see both sides. Um, but I do think that it, it's also complicated by the fact that uh, these young uh, student athletes are not getting paid. And every game that Izzo wins in a tournament, he gets a bonus. <laughs> right. Like he was like, don't mess up my bag. Um, as the, as the young kids say, right. They call, I believe they call money uh, bags. Um, but, but the other thing too, that, that, that stands out to me is, is, um, you don't really see that from the black football coach. Right. And, um, and that's why that's a trip to me, right. You'll see the black basketball coach get upset and, and, and do the same type of things, but you rarely get to see the black football coach, right. He has to be very stoic, right. He cannot be inspector Todd from Beverly Hills cop. No, he can't. He can't be the the yeller. He can't be Woody Hayes. He can't be, um, you know, that that model of hyper aggressive, hyper um, um, excited and trying to yell at, at football players. And it's just something about that dynamic uh, that black coaches are not given that kind of leeway. But I also think it's, it's some of this is true that it's harder to get a division one football job um, than it is basketball, although. The basketball numbers are pretty paltry. Uh, and so speaking of these basketball numbers, right, like we're going into the Sweet 16 uh, and we uh, only have three African-American coaches uh, who made it to the second weekend. Uh, Kelvin Sampson, uh, Leonard Hamilton, and the interim at LSU who will remain nameless since he beat my Terps. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But I like – I like um the interim at LSU who will remain lame, nameless since he beat your terse. Uh, whenever he gives interviews, right. It's just like basic coach speak. And, and I, and I, and I kind of like that. Like, look, we need to close out. We need to get back. We need to run. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, so I, I you know, I, I dig the way they play too. Um, you know, very, very kind of intense. They play D they grind it out and, and they, and they beat your terps. Um, but two of those names, right. And this is where we want to get into uh, the Calvin Sampson, especially the Leonard Hamilton, like take us way back, right, to a time um, where it really brings us back to to, to talk about them in an era of, especially Hamilton, an era of segregation. Um, and and what I noticed about Hamilton and looking him up, and I think what's so interesting, and this is what we do in the show, we put the historical context in this conversation, is. Is Hamilton, and I, and I might be wrong on this in the future, but he's probably going to be the last Sweet 16 black basketball coach that started his high school basketball career 
in segregation, right? And we never think about that. We just see him as 70, but we don't see him as this guy who started in Jim Crow and his life begins in Jim Crow, right? We just see this guy who looks like the guy from The Wire, um, who's constantly winning these games and not this pioneer. And so today we want to talk about Leonard Hamilton as a pioneer and doing so really talk about what black coaches had to go through to get to that spot. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think this is, this is what we do a, and then B and that Leonard Hamilton, I think is uh, people always talk about his age, but one of the things that gets lost in that discussion is that he graduated from uh, Gastonia is from Gastonia, North Carolina and graduated from a segregated high school, right? He graduated in 1966 um, right. To give us a kind of context, right? And most schools in the South are not fully, at least permanently integrated until 1968, 1969. Uh, and so, you know, here's a guy who's on the other side of that Jim Crow divide that we think of as being so far in the past. Right. And the, and the high school he, he started at is one of those schools. Um, it's one of those schools. We talked about this last week where they didn't they didn't the white white folks didn't want to integrate so what they did was start building black people new stuff so they didn't want to come to the other side of town and highland high becomes one of those high schools um in in gastonia and and hamilton right uh leonard hamilton stars there and then from that moment um, he goes into Gaston Community College, which is an integrated spot in North Carolina. But the interesting thing for me, and I think we, um, you know, we should we should bring this up, and 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 we'll talk about these terms here, is that Hamilton goes from a Negro athlete to a black coach in five years, and I think mm-hmm. that's a very intentionally I'm, that's a very loaded term for me to say, right? Negro athlete to black coach. And one of the things we want to do is, is talk to our, our listeners about how that happens. Like, what does it mean to be a black coach? Why do we start to get black coaches in the early 70s? And then that term of Negro shifting to black. Right. I mean, if you think about it just in terms of like the civil rights movement, right? Like if he, you know, like most high schools graduated in June, uh, if he graduated in June of 66, May, June of 66, like he's graduating on the other side of Stokely Carmichael introducing the slogan Black Power into the civil rights movement, right? Like he's before that. And what he's able to do is that in that short period of time between the time he graduates high school and the time he takes an assistant coach job at Austin P, um, you know, so much has changed. Not only had Black Power been introduced into the lexicon of the civil rights movement, but by 1968, we see uh, Harry Edwards talking about boycotting the Olympics. And so we have what we generally as historians call the revolt of the Black athlete. And that across the nation, that Black athletes at Wyoming, at Syracuse, at uh, San Jose State and other institutions are clamoring and protesting against what they see as racist treatment by their head coaches. And one of the demands that they make is that they want a black assistant coach. Uh, and so there's this moment where he comes as he at, right shortly after graduating from UT Martin in 1971, that he is at the cutting edge of uh this opportunity in which all these predominantly black, I mean, these predominantly white institutions are looking for black assistant coaches, both in the North and in the South. 
Right. And 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 real quick on, on Hamilton, we we mentioned he played at UT uh Martin. One of the things about Hamilton throughout his career, what we'll talk about, is he's a pioneer, right? He's the first black player to go to UT Martin. And then when, as you say, he becomes that grad assistant at Austin P, he's the first black coach there. And what's so interesting about that moment of of black athletes, like at, whether you're at Cal. Uh, San Jose State, even Michigan State getting a black coach is they're doing this for a very political reason, right? They want a black person around them. The white schools see this and they see the power that the black athlete has. And and part of the reason why they have this power is because the four-year guaranteed uh, contract essentially is still there. That doesn't go away till 1973 when it's uh, a uh, one-year renewable contract. So these guys could, if they want, quit the team um, and still keep their scholarships. The coaches have to be, uh, you know, wary of that. Um, but but again, these players are doing it for political reasons. And then the colleges get hip to this. Okay, we can give you a black coach. Fine, we'll stop that. Maybe we'll get some more black athletes in. Then they realize, right? By getting mm-hmm. a black coach, they can get more black players. So it beca- it quickly shifts from something being very political to, from what I see it early on, something being very exploitive unless you're able to to change that power dynamic and let it work for yourself. So, so someone like Elena Hamilton, I truly believe, came in as a way because of those those power politics but also because austin p saw something that they can get from him not necessarily like like he's going to be this great coach but he's a black man a young black man and can talk to young black players and for them that meant eventually winning and it, and it helped him, right? So he gets the Austin P job because uh, he, you know, University of Tennessee Martin played regularly against uh, Austin P in this kind of what is the Volunteer Athletic Conference in those days, and so they were familiar with each other. Uh, he was team captain at UT Martin, so he not only is he the first black player, but by his senior year, he's the team captain. And so he has all what we think about when we talk about the the right attributes uh, when we're looking for uh, racial pioneers in those days, right? That he had been in this integrated experience. He didn't play at a historically black college, um, but he had been a racial pioneer. He had been in the state. So he understood the dynamics that he was getting into. And then, as you said, rather quickly that, you know, in order for him to be successful and to 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 move from a graduate assistant, which is the lowest uh, on the coaching staff to a much more secure position, he had to figure out a way to make a difference for uh, Austin P or any of his employers. And his and, and the fastest route, as you noted, for black assistant coaches is recruiting and 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 uh, and Leonard Hamilton makes his name. Uh, in many ways, by going to New York City and recruiting one of the great street ball legends of the 1960s um, and 1970s, uh, James Fly Williams, who yeah. played against oh. world played against World B Free in New York, played against Al Skinner in New York, uh, Earl the Goat Manigault is playing in the streets of New York at this time, uh, and so he convinces Fly Williams to leave Brooklyn. And come all the way to Tennessee, Clarksville, right. <laughs> and and that's that's what's crazy to me, right? First of all, shout out to Fly Williams, who who has per, perhaps one of the great nicknames in basketball, Fly Williams, and also go ahead, feel free to say what they say at the games. Oh man, that they had the greatest uh, cheer all the time of the of any era, which was uh, the fly is open, 
Let's go pee. <laughs> so so there you go. Uh um Fly was but but Fly came out like dominant like his his last year in in high school I think it was kind of like a, a boarding school. He averaged what 32 and 19 and then his first year as a freshman he was putting up uh almost 30 a game, right? So so just on that alone Hamilton star rises and the way he gets them is so interesting. Like there's that one story where, you know, they're at that Dapper Dan um invite that player invite and essentially leonard hamilton says that he's his cousin cousin al and he's going around talking to all these other recruiters essentially saying like look if you want to get to fly williams then you have to go through me because i'm his cousin and so instead of other recruiters talking to fly it's 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 hamilton and fly williams dug that right but there's also that part where he where he essentially admits and his mother admits too that part of the reason why he's going to OCP is not only to get away from like the kind of the big college college experience is because Leonard Hamilton's there, right? There's a black coach mm-hmm. there and what they're starting to see is especially moms, like my boy will feel comfortable there. And I think to this day, you see that in coaching. Like if there's a, if there's not a black head coach and there's a great chance there's not a black head coach, there's definitely still a black assistant whose main job is to recruit. And that's part of the legacy of Leonard Hamilton because he gets the streetball legend to go to Austin P. And then what happens is, is Hamilton sees the writing on the wall. Yeah. I mean, the team makes the, the NCAA tournament, they make a splash or they beat Jacksonville in those days when uh, artist Gilmore was at Jacksonville. Um, and, uh, they were a fast rising program, uh, but he really he recognizes within three years that there's not a big future. Right. There's no path for him to be the head assistant. There's no path to him to be a head coach. Uh, and he ups and abruptly quits at the end of the 1974 uh, season and decides that he's going to go back to North Carolina and work at Dow Chemical in a corporate job. Uh, and then he gets a call that really changes his life. Great. Real quick, the favorite part about uh, before we get the call to change is like the part about him going to Dow Chemical is like we're reading these articles preparing for this. And there's a guy who straight up says in 19, a white, a white writer straight up says in 1974, like Leonard Hamilton's getting this job at Dow Chemical because he's black. Right. Like this idea (laughs) that somehow less than 10 years of living in Jim, the Jim Crow South, that Dow Chemical is just giving a job to Leonard Hamilton because he's black. And he's only there for two days because, he, and this is your your neck of the woods, Kentucky comes you know, calling. Kentucky calls, man. And Joe B. Hall, who was the uh, head basketball coach at the University of K- Kentucky, who replaced Adolph Rupp, uh, uh, admitted that he was on the lookout for a black assistant. Uh, and he had, uh, Joe B. Hall, to his credit, had 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 a wonderful class uh, in that 1974 year, I believe it was. Um, and he was able to convince uh, Jack Givens uh, from Lexington, Kentucky, from my high school, to come to the University of Kentucky. Uh, but it was a very difficult uphill recruiting in part because of Adolph, uh, Adolph Rupp's um, kind of racist policy as head coach at the University of Kentucky. Uh, and Leonard Hamilton was brought in to, to change uh, much of that environment. 
Right, and he's the first um, black assistant coach there, and 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 as that assistant coach, right, he he brings in your Sam Bowie's, he brings in your Kenny Skywalkers, right. Um, but one of the things that comes out of this is it's hard to recruit a black athlete with the ghost of Adolph Rupp just sitting there on top of you because he is a known racist, right? And you have to go into those homes, and no doubt, other coaches and other recruiters are letting this kid know you don't want to go to Kentucky that's where that's rough right they, he didn't want mm-hmm. you there he wouldn't even want Hamilton there and Hamilton is very clear about that once this one of the things I like about Hamilton on the one hand he's like look and I'm sure every a lot of black pioneers are like that at that time like look, I just want to be Leonard Hamilton right I don't want to be the black coach little Hamilton I want to be Leonard Hamilton but on the other hand, he, he knew he was black, right? And he knew what he was up against. Um, you know, understanding that at Austin P, there was no way he was going to move up into the coaching ranks, right? Uh, just because that's how, how race worked. Um, and he was clear about that every time he had an opportunity to talk about it. And he was clear about, you know, what it was like being a black person in Kentucky trying to recruit for Kentucky. Yeah, he has some fantastic quotes. He was like, you know, at near the end of his term and around the mid eighties, he said, you know, you know, Rupp's been dead, you know, seven, eight years at this point. Uh, and I'm still recruiting against his ghost, right. Against his legacy. Um, but to his, to his benefit, right. Like Leonard Hamilton comes to Kentucky at this kind of ideal time. Uh, his first year at UK, uh, the university of Kentucky finishes as national runners up to uh, UCLA uh, in 1979, uh, when Jack Givens is a senior, they win the national title. Uh, they go to the Final Four with Sam Bowie and Mel Turpin, where they lose to Georgetown. Uh, I believe that's in '84. Uh, they get Kenny Skywalker and Winston Bennett, who were like two McDonald's All Americans in those days. And so, you know, he he hit the ground running in terms of recruiting, and and despite those challenges, and I think that speaks to his legacy and his ability to recruit. Despite the challenges, that he was still able to bring in um, elite players and and had Kentucky uh, near the top um, uh, during his time there as an assistant. Right, 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 and and I, and he gets this national rep um, as as a recruiter, but he still takes a while for him to get this opportunity. And I think what happens is, you know, that's how they start to see they uh, start the media starts to see and coaches start to see black coach. You're just a recruiter, but what's also allowing him to get some success. And, and you could you're a K- Kentucky guy, you could go ahead and tell on tell on them. They do get in trouble. But, you know, other black coaches are starting to kick down the door. So so there are some guys like your John Thompson who are starting to have success um, out there. Uh, Raveling is starting to have success. So there is a movement to get these black coaches head coaching jobs and big time uh, institutions. Right. And so Hamilton is going to benefit from that right after your Kentucky program gets busted. No, it's before technically. Just to be honest, it's before. <laughs> oh, he was in. Yeah, right. he was in the article yeah, named uh, about money and stuff yeah, like that. But whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, six of one, half dozen another, right? But in '86, he gets a job at Oklahoma State, right? Um, and some of this is that Joe B. Hall uh, retires, uh, and they hire Eddie Sutton, who had been the head coach at Oklahoma State, uh, and this allowed for this interesting transition in which uh, Leonard Hamilton will take over. Uh, shortly after that uh, at Oklahoma State. And, 
you know, it's a tough job. He's the first black coach in the Big Eight. Again, here he is again. So he's the first black player at Gaston Community College at UT Martin. He's the first coach at Austin P, and then at UK. And now he's the first black head coach. And then what was then the Big Eight now is the Big 12 at Oklahoma State. And the thing about this, and I think I've seen you tweet this before, that, you know, one of the things that black coaches are often tasked with are these these awful rebuilding jobs, right? Like very few black coaches get the job in which um, everything is is humming, uh, in which the person retires on top and they get to take over and continue um, this legacy, right? He goes into a, a one of the worst jobs in the Big Eight, Um and he's able to turn it around uh, pretty quickly. In four years, he gets them to the NIT, I think the, the Final Four or Elite Eight or something in the NIT, which in those days was a big deal um, before the tournament expanded to 64 teams. Right. And again, though, he's, I think he's handicapped and, and, and for the longest time, um, and it's unfortunate, by this tag that he's just a black recruiter. Because even when they, when they uh, bring him in, one of the uh, quotes from the AD is like, look, we just want athletes, right? Um, and so they see Hamilton as this guy um, who who can just do that. They're not even worried about the X's and O's. And I don't even think at that moment, they don't even think he has the capability. And even John Thompson, right, has to come out and apologize because at one point he says he's upset at, at Leonard Hamilton because he's not a student of the game. He's just a guy who's a recruiter. Um, And, and come on, like, isn't that what all college basketball is to like to this day. That's what it is. Now I know back then they were running more plays and stuff like that, but I think, you know, Thompson fell into that trope a little bit of not seeing the black head coach as the black head coach and, and only seeing him as this recruiter. And another interesting pr- point back to Kentucky that kind of ties us to today with the uh, NBA is that look, Hamilton was the only black person on the staff, so they had to replace him with another black person. And they went back to an ex-player, Dwayne Casey, who is the person who has to take the blame um, for uh, paying Chris Mills, who who's the top recruit, who winds up not going to Kentucky and going to Arizona. And because of that, right, uh, Dwayne Casey is essentially, I think he got like a 20-year ban, essentially a 20-year ban in, in college uh, basketball. So he's pretty much out um, and doesn't get back in really until the Mavericks bring him back in the fold. Um, so he's Dwayne Casey's with the Mavericks when they beat uh, LeBron, essentially designs that defense. And then the rest is history, right? Goes to Toronto, coach of the year. And now he's at uh, Detroit Pistons trying to put it together somehow, making uh, Blake Griffin and Andre uh, Drummond work. Uh, but back to <laughs> Hamilton, um, what happens after uh, look, Oklahoma? Huh, go ahead. Uh, let me let me add one more piece to this, right? This puzzle, right? So see how this legacy works, right? To Leonard Hamilton, right? So Dwayne Casey, once Dwayne Casey gets fired at uh, Kentucky, he's replaced because, again, as you know, you need a black uh, assistant. He's replaced by um, they hire uh, Eddie Sutton gets fired. And then eventually Rick Pitino gets brought in and he brings in Tubby Smith in that role as the black assistant. And so we see this kind of long trajectory that's created because of Leonard Hamilton's early success that, you know, harkens all the way back to uh, to, to to Tubby Smith getting an assistant coach job and then later on getting the head coaching job at the University of Kentucky. And Tubby won, right? Like he got chips. Yes. Yes, he got one. Yeah, one. and you guys never give him credit for that, though, right? Like, is that not me? Not, I give him credit yeah, all the time. Yeah. I mean, some people don't. Yeah, some people don't. Didn't think he right. actually. The knock on Tubby was that he didn't recruit well enough. So, oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> right, right. And and then so Hamilton and and I like that point you brought up and 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 then you shouted me out like this this idea that the black coach always gets the rebuilding job, right? You're the cleanup man. And essentially what mm-hmm. happens to Hamilton after he gets done with Oklahoma State, he goes to Miami and and Miami's a football school. Um I'm sure there's tons of talent in in Dade County, but he gets the cleanup job in Miami. Um and then eventually and he's the first black person there too, the black head coach there. And then he's going to go ahead and get the cleanup job with the Washington Wizards. Um, <laughs> and then he's going to get the cleanup job with the Florida State. Yeah, no, that's his thing. And, I mean, in many ways, we would describe him as, you know, the opposite of that is a program builder, right? Because he leaves Miami better than he got it. They were in a Sweet 16 uh, in 2000, and that got him the Wizards job. Uh, in fact, he was personally hired by Michael Jordan to tackle that young Wizards team that was pretty terrible that ended up getting the first pick. Um, and then of course he, he lasted one year in the professional game and goes back to Florida state and Florida state had always been a tough job, you know, much like Miami, uh, recruiting in the state of Florida where football is king, uh, was a challenge, but you know, last year he's been there since 2002, he's been fairly consistent at Florida state. They've always been a tough out, uh, in the ACC. Um, they went to the lead eight last year, beating Gonzaga, who they'll play again this weekend, uh, this weekend coming up in the Sweet 16. So you see this Leonard Hamilton trajectory of him being a consistent recruiter. I mean, the teams that you, you know, as someone who's uh, who grew up in Lexington, watching some of these old Kentucky teams and, uh, and went to Maryland as the ACC and watched uh, Florida State teams over the last decade or so. You know, the thing you knew about Florida State teams that they were going to be uh, tough, athletic. In many ways, they fit the personality of the head coach, right? This team is is unselfish. They don't have a flashy player, a star player, but they that they've uh, but they got eight, nine, ten guys who are going to make uh, life miserable uh, for uh, opponents. And that and that's kind of that's kind of the I think a, a testament to uh, Leonard Hamilton's legacy as a coach and as a recruiter. Yeah, and I and I like their chances, and 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 I like um, that he's and that he gets his due now. Finally, right? He's Leonard Hamilton, the coach, and not the recruiter. And I, and I and I think that says something. And and I think that through Leonard Hamilton, right, there's these great lessons we can learn about. You know that transition from segregation to integration, that transition from having to be a Negro, then getting to be black, and then the whole politics of what it's like being a black coach. Um, and I hope that this year is his year. I know I'm still going with Tennessee and Duke and, and only because that's really the teams I saw play the most. I saw Tennessee play like Kentucky in the SEC, uh, not even finals, semifinals. Like, yeah, this is it. And they, they almost blew it. Um, but are your, are your predictions still good? No, I mean, I picked Maryland, obviously, because I always root for the home team, my, my squad. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, I think, you know, what I would like, given this, the way what we talked about today, I would love to see Leonard Hamilton, Florida State, make a Final Four, because I think Leonard, Leonard Hamilton is not, we don't think of him in that class with John Thompson or Nolan Richardson or John Chaney or Tubby Smith, in part because he just has not had that same kind of success um, at the elite level. He's taken on uh, what you call cleanup jobs, um, bad programs and turned and made them very respectable. And so this is as good a chance. The last few years at, at Florida State, he's had some really good teams. I'd like to see him break through to the Final Four so so that this podcast could be ahead of the curve uh, in this discussion of, of Leonard Hamilton's legacy. 
Yeah, me and I, and I'll second that. And without with with that, man, we we are out of here. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace.